internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shabbats, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover a build of God and reach the side of the ocean floor. Welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined by a very special guest who kind of represents a new vista for the astral flight simulation for me. Because today's guest is the first person to come on who found this podcast as a listener and got in touch with me with a few of her friends. And uh, our conversations led to today's episode. So I'm really excited to introduce Erin of the Hell Money podcast. She is a Bitcoin astrologer. Uh, and fan of the show, which I'm very honored by. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, why don't you um, why don't you tell us about um, your Hell Money podcast a little bit, which I've listened to a little bit of uh, uh, several episodes, and I could already see the uh, similarities and the the interest that you might have had to some of my some of my content as well maybe let people know like what these what is the astrology of bitcoin that's the first episode i listened to was called the astrology of bitcoin um i assume that this is the first time most of my listeners are hearing that term or that phrase because it was the first time i had as well and then also if you don't mind just um maybe talk about how you found my show and and which episode and like where the link is between what you do and what i do yeah, totally. So um, I kind of have like a weird, like roundabout uh, journey to becoming like a Bitcoin astrologer, which is just an insane combination of things. Um, I'm, a, I'm a planetary scientist by profession, like that's my day job. Um, and somehow in working in planetary science, I got into astrology. Um, that was four or five years ago now. Uh, and then I also sort of have like a little bit of like a doomsday bend. I'm a homesteader. Um, so I actually started buying Bitcoin uh, a couple years ago, not really knowing anything about it, but just kind of feeling like, oh, I feel like the economy doesn't work. And, you know, people who say that the economy doesn't work are into this thing. I'm just going to have a little bit just just in case. Um, and then there was a major astrological conjunction at the end of 2020, the Saturn-Jupiter uh, conjunction in Aquarius. And I was driving out to the beach to go see it because you could see it right after sunset, the two planets. And as I was driving out, I looked at my phone and I saw that Bitcoin was back up to its all-time high of 18K at that time. And I was like, huh, okay, this is something. Like, I maybe this is a part of this. I don't really understand. I need to go down the rabbit hole. Uh, and that kind of started my serious Bitcoin journey. So astrology got me into Bitcoin. Um, and then Bitcoin ended up now is like a huge part of my life that probably equals astrology. Uh, and part of that is I have this podcast with um, a Bitcoin developer. So he's like on the tech side. And then I'm like this insane astrology esoteric person who has come at Bitcoin from a totally different angle. Um and I don't know how much you want me to dive into like the actual kind of astrological place of Bitcoin, but uh, one of the things that that 
became apparent to me in looking into it, just both like from a technological standpoint and also from an astrological standpoint, is that Bitcoin is an age of Aquarius technology. Um, and specifically like the Bitcoin blockchain is this kind of like, it, it has the essence of the age of Aquarius and this like decentralized peer-to-peer um, ledger. And I think I, my friend sent me your Age of Aquarius and Global Warming episode that you did like a couple months back. I'm pretty sure I listened to it around Christmas. And when I was listening to it, there were just so many things that you guys were talking about that I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm I'm on the same wave. And it was very confirming to see, um, you know, I feel like a big part of the Age of Aquarius is like this decentralized awakening like I hate to just go for like new agey terms because I know that some people just totally don't speak that language but like it really does feel like there's this like collective consciousness kind of awakening that maybe is happening because of the internet and it's just happening in weird pockets because we're all connected in weird new ways as a result of the internet um but just listening to to you on that podcast, I was like, yeah, this guy gets it. <laughs> awesome. You know what I love about that too, is we came to it from two totally different like starting points because I was reading a lot of Avola and I mean, I could just name drop. If you listen to that episode, I, I name everybody that I was reading that kind of like awakened me to the reality of what's going on culturally right now. Um, it kind of dawned on me that global warming is a myth that we're telling ourselves now. And I actually believe that there is global climate change going on the part, but, but still the fact that it's like a cultural narrative makes it occupy the same place in our culture that myth has occupied in cultures of the past. I don't believe that it's going to be this catastrophic uh, millenarian event. That's going to actually like lead to like the death of, you know, 90% of the world's population. I believe that is the psychological effect it's having on the culture because a America is very millenarian culture B uh, Christianity where Christian culture, um, even though we've become atheist and materialistic uh, it's, we're still informed by like uh, Christian ontology, Christian epistemology, Christian ways of seeing the world. So that eschatology of Christianity is kind of baked in, to our culture, especially in America, but Europe as well, uh, the West in general. And I think that what's going on with the, like, um, the end of the world aspect of the global warming story is the part that's really the myth. And I tried to explain my, you know, my contribution to that conversation was trying to explain the sort of archetypical significance of, of that story being this eschatology for, for us. Um, I also think it's a power and money grab for the powers that be in the Great Reset, but that's a whole different episode of this, yeah, yeah, this show. Totally. That's part of it. <laughs> yeah, for, myth, sure. To be for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For <laughs> sure. But um, I don't think we're going to get to that. Uh, so, but but looking into these things the way I look at them through like a, a mythological, psychological uh, lens, I kind of thought to myself, well, I really need to learn the hard astrology going on. I have to... You know, I have to find I love out that, that hard astrology. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like like hard science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is, is you know, me and you were talking before we started recording, and the the funny thing is, is like, so I did that episode. I kind of came up with my picture, and I thought to myself, okay, like, 
I need to learn the astrology now. Like that's my next goal. And I also thought completely unrelated to this to myself, like I need to incorporate Bitcoin into my whole worldview that I'm developing. And then you and uh, some friends of yours, one in particular who will be on the show eventually, uh, reached out to me and you were like, hey, we're Bitcoin astrologers. And I'm like, well, okay. I never, I never said out loud to anyone that I needed uh, Bitcoin and astrology to be incorporated. So uh, it was great. It was great. And it was a very synchronistic moment. So, so I think the two things I want to do, at least to get the conversation started is first to have you explain to us the, uh, the astrology, like the planetary astrology uh, of the age of Aquarius, um, what the procession of the equinoxes are. Which I got into in that episode, but maybe you could give us a little bit more of a, a better informed, uh, you know, astronomer's description of what the what the because astronomy and astrology. Actually, why don't you start by differentiating between astronomy and astrology and tell us what the uh, precession of the equinoxes are, and then we'll go from there. Okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, you know, astronomy and astrology used to be kind of the same field for a long time. Um, just observing the stars was also myth-making with the stars. And I think it was Jung that said that astrology is like the collection of all psychological knowledge of antiquity. Um, and I think that that's a really good way of putting it, that like, if you understand the vocabulary of astrology and you understand the archetypes that astrology is explaining, both in terms of like the signs, which a lot of people are familiar with because they know like, their own sign because that's just like your birthday um if you understand the archetypes of the signs if you understand the archetypes of the planets as gods which a lot of people also then know from classics or literature and then there's kind of like a an in-between there um and if you understand the archetypes of the houses which are like a little bit more technical but they're all kind of related um so astrology like essentially is just myth making and uh psychological archetypes based around planetary movements that are then astronomy. And those two things diverged at some point. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. Like I, I would love for a historical astrologer to give like a really detailed description of when that division happened, because I think that there's, you know, someone like Galileo, he worked as a professional astrologer. He was known as an astrologer much more than as an astronomer, but that's not the way that we remember him. And I, I wonder to, I, I wonder like when they actually truly diverged because I think the story is kind of more complicated and nuanced than astronomy sort of presents it to be. Astronomy kind of presents it like, well, once we got enlightened, you know, we stopped doing astrology and, and we moved away from the psychics and the witches and the whatever. Um, and I don't know, I have a lot of opinions about uh, the way that science has just kind of replace religion and become the thing that it's it's said it didn't want to be and personally the way that I see astrology and astronomy for myself now is that they're kind of just two different tools in a toolbox where astrology I mean I I I came like from such a stem bro perspective I have always been like a math and science technology kind of person and astrology is honestly like what helped me understand other people and the sort of universal human archetypes. Um, and I really feel like that's the value of astrology it is just understanding archetypes. And you can get that in a lot of different ways. For me, it was just astrology. And then astronomy or science is more just like 
rational, logical thinking at its best. Um, but I think what happens is that like part of the divorce between those two things, astrology and astronomy, has meant that astronomers or scientists believe that they don't have a myth-making uh, side of themselves. And so what happens is they kind of confuse the logic brain side of themselves and they they can't differentiate that one thing is myth-making and one thing is is like an empirical reasoning tool and not God, right? Not like a replacement for God. Anyway, that's sort of a tangent. But I think like the the antagonism for astrology from astronomy is is part of that. It's like not being able to, I don't know, accurately place that myth-making impulse that I think is universal for humans and not being able to find a place for that within science or or one that suits their like their idea of what science should be. Um I don't remember the second part of your question. I've just now gone off about astrology and astronomy. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. That's really good. The second part of my question is to um, explain what the precession of the equinoxes is, um, what the age of Aquarius is in a technical sense, and then um, I'd like to know what you think the psychological archetypical cultural significance spiritual significance of the age of aquarius is and um you know i, th I think we should elaborate on that quite a lot but first let's get the the, the scientific part out of the way right okay perfect uh so well, I, I actually i think all of this is scientific by the way <laughs> but but no one will refute the the part about the age the procession of the equinoxes yeah so the procession of the equinoxes um i think a lot of people are from familiar with the idea that the earth's pole wobbles over time, like the Milankovitch cycles. Um, it's basically, you know, our, our, our poles are just wobbling very slightly over what's actually pretty, it's a pretty fast cycle in terms of geological time, but it's, it's a slow cycle in terms of like human time. Um, so the wobble of the poles is basically what the precession of the equinoxes tracks, which technically precession of the equinoxes is, is scientific, but there's not, they don't really care about the precession of the equinoxes. It's really only astrologers that care because they ascribe significance to it. But basically what the, the precession of the equinoxes is tracking is the, the movement of that, um, that wobble and then what sign the like tangential equinox from Earth's surface is pointing at, which is difficult to describe without like a graphic since it's like three dimensional space. But you can think of it as just like um, a calculation based on where Earth's pole is pointing and then where the equinox is pointing relative to that. So that's that's what people are talking about when they're like, oh, we're in the dawning of the age of Aquarius, is that that procession of the equinox is now moving into Aquarius. And depending on how you calculate it, there's kind of a range of dates that you can use for the beginning of the age of Aquarius. Um, the hippies were obviously very into it in the 1960s. They kind of felt like they were at the dawning of the age of Aquarius. I don't think they were. I think they were too early. Um, it, yeah, there, there's different kind of ways that you can calculate it. And the, the wobble is also not completely linear. It can go back and forth a little bit. So it kind of, I, I think it's a transition period. Um, and the transition time that I generally think for the age of Aquarius is the year 2000 to kind of 2100. 
that that's sort of like we're we're slowly moving into the age of Aquarius. And each astrological age is about 2000 years. So like a 100 year overlap between astrological ages is not that much time in the scheme of 2000 years. Um, but the last age, the age that we're kind of transitioning out of uh, was the age of Pisces. So we're going from Pisces to the age of Aquarius. And uh, I guess to kind of set up like the explanation of the age of Aquarius, I just want to talk about the age of Pisces first, since I think that's something that it's history, right? That's like the last 2000 years of history. We're very familiar with it. The age of Pisces loosely started with the birth of Jesus Christ. So the beginning of like the Gregorian calendar year zero. Um, and the age of Pisces was characterized by uh, the, the monotheistic religions. Um, so I don't know like how familiar people are with Pisces as an archetype. But uh, Pisces are the last sign of the Zodiac. They're kind of like the little old lady that you help cross the street. Like they're sort of in between realms in the sense that they're they're kind of close to death. They're still here in this world, but they're kind of like lost in a dream state. Like that's the classic Pisces archetype. And so I think the phrase like religion is the opiate of the masses is a very age of Pisces phenomenon where religion and the rules of these dominant monotheistic hierarchical religions was the way that a lot of people organized their understanding of the world, the way we organized our societies, our governments, everything. And I think part of the disillusionment with the monotheistic religions that we're seeing in the last, I guess, couple decades is part of that transition into the age of Aquarius, where we're losing faith in these religious hierarchies that have been around for so long and I think we still haven't seen what's going to emerge whether we're gonna you know come into this like science religion and that's going to be the new religion that might be the case um or if we end up in this like you know hippie like new age spirituality decentralized like I don't know you know there's a lot of different ways it could go and and it's possible that there's going to be a conflict between different kind of ways of understanding uh, like our spiritual basis of reality, that there might be many different things that pop up. But yeah, so so we're transitioning out of the age of Pisces. And I feel like the disillusionment with uh, the monotheistic religions is a big part of that. And then the age of Aquarius, a lot of people are familiar with from the hippies, mostly, um, and kind of new age spirituality. But Aquarius is a much more, um, Aquarius doesn't care about hierarchies at all. Aquarius is all about decentralization. What does it mean to be an individual in a collective of other individuals? And how do I relate to other individuals? Um, Aquarius is often uh, kind of like the weird, like not like other girls sort of archetype that like doesn't want to be like other people and wants to be unique. Um and so I think like there's a lot of tech oddity that's coming out of Aquarius because Aquarius can be very progressive and push things forward very, very fast. Um, so yeah, it's it, the thing with the age of Aquarius is it's so hard for me to even make like concrete predictions about what will happen because I really do feel like we, like the two of us will probably be dead before we're fully like immersed in this new era. Um, but I think like, 
there's definitely a spiritual transition that's happening now where people are either becoming completely disillusioned with religion and becoming atheist or becoming like science religion, or they're kind of finding new weird ways of thinking about spirituality or rediscovering old things that have been lost during the age of Pisces. Um, and then, yeah, the technology, AI, internet side of things is also a huge part of it as well. So yeah, I don't know if you have specific kind of questions, but that's sort of my my overview. Well, you talk a little bit about the conjunction of, of Jupiter and Saturn and the significance of that. Yeah. So um so yeah that that conjunction I think it was like December 17th, 2020. It was either December 17th. I think it was the 21st, but I could look 21st. it up. 21st. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was like on the the like winter solstice. Yeah. Um now yeah, I have so to that, double check that, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. But go yeah, on. Yeah, it's right right around then. Um, so that conjunction that was Jupiter and Saturn meeting up in Aquarius. So like a conjunction in astrology in general is just when two planets are right next to each other. So in this situation, Jupiter and Saturn were both in Aquarius, and this was an event that myself and a lot of other astrologers looked to as uh, it was the, the 15th sorry to interrupt 15th. okay yeah yeah yeah. so we were both wrong <laughs> <laughs> we were close though <laughs> close yeah right around then oh hold on um, no it culminated on the night of the 21st there we go yeah we go. It, it began on the 15th and culminated on the 21st so december nice. 21 all right go on forgive me no no problem um so so yeah the, the the way I kind of see the transition into the age of Aquarius is that it's this long process that's punctuated by specific kind of astrological events that push the Aquarian energies forward. And I think that conjunction that Saturn Jupiter conjunction was a really good example of that. And and for people who are not like thinking about Yeah, I mean you got to talk about the significance of Jupiter and Saturn each as planets. Right, right, individually right. and Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So this is, this is, uh, yeah, I've kind of described like Aquarius energies a little bit. Jupiter is the planet of growth and expansion. Anything that Jupiter is like Zeus, I guess. I'm, I'm not super familiar with like, uh, Greek and Roman mythology, but that's kind of the, like Jupiter is the Roman god and then Zeus is the Greek god that's affiliated with the mythology of that, that astrological archetype. Um, so Jupiter is all about growth and expansion. And so that can be like, positive or negative it's usually positive but it can also greatly expand negative things as well it just basically blows up whatever it, it it's interacting with it causes an expansion and then saturn is uh structures tradition um it's like chronos father time is saturn um saturn has to do with institutions and hierarchies and karma um, and so both of those planets meeting up in Aquarius, to me, was like a beginning of a new structure within Aquarius energies and kind of like the beginning of the age of Aquarius starting to take shape. Does, does and, one of them recede and one of them come to the fore out of the two planets or are they kind of both aligned? So Sa- Saturn, like is- yeah, Saturn is slower moving. Um, everything orbits within the same ecliptic plane. Okay. Um, so our solar system, for the most part, there's a little bit of like, uh, like things out of axis here and there, but for the most part, everything orbits within the same plane. So Saturn is slower moving. So Jupiter basically caught up to Saturn and they met and then Jupiter kept going. Exactly. So Jupiter is overtaking Saturn and is coming, is uh, ascendant. 
Yeah. Is, is that a, yeah. can I put it that way? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good way of thinking about it. Because if you think about the way we're talking about the age of Aquarius, it's like the the diffusion of Jupiter is replacing the order of Saturn. Yeah, and it's it's also I think like if you if you also just put that in terms of like real societal context, this was the end of 2020. So this was like coming out of like COVID time. Um, I mean, still very much in it in this weird like post-COVID. I think it was like the beginning of this like post-COVID era that we're in right now where like half of the population is like moving on to new things and then half of yeah, the population exactly. is like stuck in this weird like well, time warp where yes. like someday things will move on. Like that I feel like was very much the beginning of this new era that is kind of like the dark side of the age of Aquarius. No, and I you're, do think, yeah, we're kind of in like a dark age here. <laughs> let, let me jump in real quick. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. You're at, no, you're a thousand percent correct. Let me just phrase it the way I see it. The old this is, COVID is very significant. It's extremely significant. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the hinge uh, of the old world and the new world, because what they're trying to do is COVID and the great reset is the attempt of the people who administered and controlled and ruled the old world, the old order, the post-colonial uh, uh, World War II order, liberal world order that was established at the end of World War II, firmly controlled and dominated by you know a certain group of people, a certain set of people. And I'm not talking racially or ethnically. I'm talking about I'm talking about Davos. I'm talking about uh, the United States government. I'm talking about the the UN. That that whole network, right? They can totally administer the the old previous world, and it's being supplanted and superseded and overshadowed by the new world that's coming in. That's created by the digital, and the digital is bringing in all new players who aren't part of that old world. And it's making these new tech billionaires and they have a whole different paradigm that they see the world through. So COVID was the attempt and it's, we're still living in the, in this, in this power grab that they're trying to uh, perpetuate, which is the great reset. It's their attempt to carry over and transition their power and their paradigm into the new world and the new power in which they still have control. So the digital world order and the old previous world order, the liberal world order are vying for control of the globe right now. And I, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know if they're going to uh, usher in, you know, 2000 years of darkness, which would be the, the, the old order retaining control, or if the new order is going to take control and sort of, reinvigorate the world and usher in a new era of prosperity um my picture isn't quite as good as i made that sound with the digital world order i mean there's there's definitely some pitfalls and some problems with that but covid is the way the old world is trying to keep their control whereas bitcoin and crypto if the digital you know world order succeeds crypto is going to be the the their hinge point it's going to be the the thing that uh allows them to kind of bring their world and take us completely off the old world and into the new world uh so that's what i think when you talk about jupiter and saturn and jupiter overtaking saturn because if the way you talked about jupiter if you think about it uh it's much more rhizomatic if i may use that term than the arborescent previous world of Kronos. And um, 
I won't belabor this insight, but if you check out my Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode, we talk about Kronos uh, and Saturn, and we talk about the reemergence of uh, the old chaotic way supplanting the new orderly conscious way, the unconscious sort of creeping out and into the consciousness, uh, the rational world order um, and the archetypical significance of that, the archetypical significance of these uh, cannibals and this cult of Saturn, right? Because this group of cannibals is a cult of Saturn. Uh, So yeah, let me, I want to add an astrological event in your timeline that you've just given. Uh, And then it also kind of then goes into later this month, like March 23rd is another kind of, thing to look for so we just talked about uh saturn jupiter conjunction in aquarius at the end of 2020 and kind of like the beginning of this post-covid era that we're in right now um covid started with the saturn pluto conjunction at the end of capricorn and uh capricorn is the sign before aquarius um i feel like the pluto pluto is the slow moving planet it's the furthest one out um, and Pluto has been in Capricorn since 2008. And I feel like the, the 2008 financial crisis is a really good example of the Pluto. Pluto is the, the tower tarot card. It's, um, Hades, god of the underworld. Pluto is about like the dark, <laughs> to use Marianne Williamson's terms, the dark psychic forces, uh, like coming out from underneath, um, and overtaking and causing destruction. Um, and so Pluto and Capricorn was 2008 until 2023, 2024. Um, and the Pluto Capricorn era has been a complete destruction of our financial, uh, system. And, and that's, yeah, I don't want to like necessarily like just define terms over and over again, but that's kind of Capricorn's realm as well. Um, so Pluto and Saturn met up, uh, January, I think it was like 11th or 12th, 2020. Um, and I remember that day I was like, oh no, like this is going to be really bad. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to stay home today. And then nothing happened. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then a few months later, I realized that this was the literally the day of that conjunction was the first time that COVID-19 was called a new virus. That it was not just like, oh, this mysterious flu, it was called a new virus was that day, like the first case of it officially. Um, and, you know, I, that that conjunction between Saturn, which is the institutions, the structures, the traditions, the hierarchies, and Pluto, which is this destroyer from the underworld, that was the beginning of COVID. And then Saturn kept moving through Capricorn. And then once it got into Aquarius at the end of 2020, it conjuncted with Jupiter, which then was this like expansion, um, new things coming in, new energies coming in. And that was kind of the end of like the year of COVID and the beginning of this weird post-COVID, like great reset, new world order bullshit that we're in now. Um, so Pluto is, is still in Capricorn now, but it will enter Aquarius for the first time on March 23rd of this year, 2023. And so you can imagine, so, so Pluto will be in Aquarius from, it's, it's in Aquarius for March to June of this year, and then it retrogrades back to Capricorn, and then it enters Aquarius, um, permanently in January 2024, where it will be until 2044. So 
Pluto, which is this like god of the underworld, destroyer, uh, you know, collapse, rebirth, all of that, is entering Aquarius for the first time since literally since like the American Revolution in 20, in, in less than a month. Um, and then more like permanently in 2024. And then we have 20 years of Pluto and Aquarius. So I think this is, as I said, like that Saturn-Jupiter conjunction in December 2020 was like a punctuating event of the transition from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. Pluto and Aquarius to me is like going to be the most significant astrological transit of my lifetime. And that I think this will be the collapse, the death, the rebirth of these new structures that will emerge in the age of Aquarius. So that's something to look forward to and also to be like afraid of. <laughs> okay, this is so it's perfect for for my worldview that I'm that I'm coming up with. Or okay. well I that well I came up with it already, but you're just reinforcing that I was on the right track because I knew that it was would be important for me to look into the uh astrological significance to everything I'm seeing. And you're just totally like laying it all out in astrological terms because the way I see it, and just so people know, so this doesn't sound like completely out of left field and completely out of my ass, um, the book, The Origins and History of Consciousness by Eric Newman. Have you read that? Right. I read part of it. I was, yeah. uh, is like Polya really into that book? I don't probably. Know yeah, that. probably. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, I would assume so. Yes. Um, but he, so this is where I'm at and this is how your, uh, insight and knowledge sort of complements it because, um, he basically says that the life cycle of a civilization follows the same trajectory of a life cycle of a human being and the psychological stages that the human goes through are likened to, uh, can be likened to the psychological stages of consciousness that a civilization goes through so that, the civilization like embodies different consciousness structures throughout the course of its life cycle. And it basically starts from like a prehistoric primordial embryonic phase, which we understand as like prehistoric. And then it uh, goes through like a, 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 a you know, a, a infantile, adolescent, middle-aged, elderly, and then death. Uh, and, and the death phase does not mean necessarily that the civilization collapses and disappears and dies. Rather, the consciousness of those people returns to the closest thing an elderly person can get to a childlike pre-conscious state. And this is the return to the great mother, according to Newman, and according to this book. The, the being uh, returned to the bosom of the great mother is the death of consciousness. And he likens it to the baby who is at the mother's breast, who is not individuated yet. So the way I see it is a, con a civilization's consciousness like sort of goes to sleep and it gives itself over to uh, like this primordial, uh, it gives itself over to this primordial state of consciousness. So it's a return to a pre-conscious state. Now, you have to go back and listen to my Aquarian Kali Yuga because I, I liken all of this to Nietzsche and Spengler and Avoli and all that stuff. So in order for the cycle to start again, right, you can't just like you can't just like wake up the next day and you're in the new phase. You're not you're not you can't go immediately into a new consciousness structure because the people from the old way 
kind of have to like die off to put it bluntly. Uh, and the people who embody that old consciousness structure kind of have to like, uh, and, and this is, this is what everybody's like complaining about the boomers, right? Because they feel like the boomers are like sort of like hanging on to their old way of life and it's stifling and stagnating like the next generation. So the way I tried to characterize the transition into the age of Aquarius, like even if there's some sort of utopia in the future, it's going to be far off because it has to like totally submerge the old way to the point where it's like dead and gone and allow the new age and the new mindset and the new consciousness structure to get its start under like the 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 normal standard developmental phase right and it's being like stymied and stifled and choked by the old way right so when i talk about like the deluge the cosmic deluge of the cosmic waters of the age of aquarius what i'm talking about is like the complete flood and washing away of the old way and that's the primordial soup of the future and of the new consciousness structure so when i talk about the age of aquarius in much darker terms than like the hippies used to talk about what i'm saying is that like the new thing that's like under the surface in the age of aquarius it needs time to like develop into its own thing and become an individuated individual so for the people living through that transition from the death of the old to like the not the birth of the new right because the birth of the new already happened but it needs to germinate and grow and develop to the point where it can like establish its own consciousness and establish its own like perspective and order the entire world around this new consciousness structure and the paradigm shifts from one perspective to the new perspective but in the interim of the shift it's chaos and it's it's like it could seem like madness and it could seem like craziness and a lot of unconscious this is a time right when the when the order that was instilled by the old way breaks down that that order from the old way was like uh the the uh, the assertion and the maintenance of a conscious picture a rational world picture when that breaks down the unconscious erupts up through the fissures and this is all the dark stuff that we're seeing and these are all the bad things that we're seeing because we have to like get to a point where we're strong enough to like tamp those things down and reassert a new consciousness structure. Yeah, I completely, I have so many, so many things I could say. Please go off. Like I, I, I didn't mean to take the mic for so long. Please, no, no, uh... no. I, I totally agree. Um, I think uh, like, it's hard to say if the age of Aquarius is going to be a dark time generally, um, but certainly there will be a dark time in the transition between. And I do think that Pluto and Aquarius, this 2024 to 2044 period is going to be a lot of, of chaotic darkness. But if you are someone who has a vision and has something that's, that's driving you, um, this is like the best time to actually try to bring something into the world. Um, I think it was in your Age of Aquarius episode that you were talking about the age of individualism and kind of the pros and cons of individualism. Like, there's a lot of reasons to resent individualism, um, and you certainly can feel lost and, and like there's no path to take. There's no correct rules to follow that will 
guarantee a good life, a good community, whatever, whatever it is that you're looking for out of like your singular human life. Um, I think in the age of individualism, we've taken on all of this personal responsibility and the structures are falling away. And you can resent that and you can be upset about that. But it also comes with this upside that each of us really is figuring out on our own and, and, you know, not on our own entirely. Like there's, there's these moments where you realize, oh, actually all these other people that come from totally different backgrounds and totally different ways of getting there are like on the same journey as me, or we're arriving at the same destination or the same conclusion. But a lot of it has to come from within. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with this like decentralized, like consciousness evolution, woo woo terms with the age of Aquarius is that like, yes, it's, it's difficult and it's, uh, puts a lot on an individual to have to navigate this world on our own and to figure out right and wrong and to figure out, you know, what's next or, uh, what to do even like with our consciousness. Um, but I do think that this is something that we're, that's like part of, of us being alive in this transition time. And like, I personally believe that like, this is just getting into like me being totally woo woo, but I, I do believe that like, we all choose to be here. Like we choose to reincarnate. We choose to come back to this like hell world, like snake eating its own tail for whatever reason it that we've decided to come back. And I think coming back during this like Kali Yuga period is not something that happens on accident like I think it's something that we chose to do and that we're we're each kind of like either a part of the thing falling away or like the new thing arising so that's just like my pep talk about the darkness is you know I I think there's like meaning to it you're saying that being sentient during the Kali Yuga is part of your karma like if you're alive now that's your karmic sort of uh I don't want to say duty, but it's your, it's your karmic, like, lot you drew. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So, you know, I think part of, because you have to understand, not you, like, but people have to understand that, like, as we go through these transitions, we don't know what they're going to look like. They start to develop as the transition happens. And and you get a new, like, as time goes by, you get a better, more accurate picture of what's going on and where you're going. So I think, I, I don't, I think it makes sense that when these things first started to be intuited and observed by people, that they started to have, like, an optimistic outlook on it. And then as time goes on, like, it makes sense that the, that optimistic kind of maybe darkens into pessimism but the reality is of course i know this is a very banal insight to make but the reality has to be more gray has to be somewhere in between so i think my like the task of people like us right now is not to necessarily be doomsayers and naysayers nor is it to really uh be like utopianists it's to bring in this other perspective to say well Okay, maybe you guys were right about some of the 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 beautiful things that you're uh foreseeing for the future, but that's not the whole story. And so I I don't actually shy away or or naysay the new new uh age people and like the whole hippie movement as much as others do. 
Although I do feel that I'm here to kind of smash the rose colored picture that they created. Um, but, but less so in the interest of just like being reactive or reactionary to them and more so to give people a better understanding of where we're going. Uh, so I like to see myself as like building on what they've established. So, and part of what I mean by that is like, you see a lot of people who are more conservative or more on the right, like taking up certain elements of that world, like some of the back to back to nature stuff that's happening now and some of like the the focus on like much more natural and healthy diets are are starting to move to like the right wing uh sphere and you're even seeing left wing people like mock and denigrate you know like back to naturism and and healthy eating when you know 20 years ago those of would have been the people like championing that and they're trying to shout it down as like racist or ethnocentric or like uh exclusionary to to native americans or people of color indigenous people or whatever when really like the paradigm is shifting less away from this like hippy dippy feeling of camaraderie more to this like more narrow uh exclusionary perspective of like no shit is getting really bad bad things are going to happen and the way i see it is like this shift is like it's time for us to like fortify a couple of like life rafts really to make it across this turbulent time because, because this whole old, this whole old picture, this whole old order is going under. And, 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 you know, um, I, I, I hate to keep making reference to other episodes, but if I don't, I'll just bog us down in the details. So you have to listen to the Kali Yuga episode, the Aquarian Kali Yuga, if you haven't, because I connect all of this, what we're saying here now to like Nietzsche and the Overman and Evola and the mythological Grail cycle and, uh, Spangler and the, the sort of evolution of civilizations that kind of like come out of nothing, are born, grow up, plateau, or flourish is probably a better word and then start to decline and die. Um, I kind of put all these things together in that episode. And for us to be in the Kali Yuga phase, the materialistic age in which all the gods are sleeping and not connected to us, um, or the, the winter phase of Spengler, which the winter phase is like, it's over. You, you can only do, there's only, you only have a few options. We people in a period like ours today only have a few options. And when we decide what we're going to do with the, the, the karma that we have for being alive right now, I think the best perspective to have is to look to the future. I mean, Nietzsche says in Zarathustra uh, and, and other places as well that the Uberman, the Ubermensch is like, he, he's hearkening to that in the future. It's not like, it's not like a bunch of Ubermenches are going to just grow up and like instantiate the new world order or whatever. It's it's something that we have to try to survive to make it to for future generations. Now, I don't know if you feel ready right now to bring Bitcoin in, uh, sure. but yeah. So so how does Bitcoin fit into all this for you? Yeah. So, OK, I a couple responses to what you just said. Uh, I think that the the kind of like back to nature emergence in the conservative movement is so fascinating and interesting to me. Um, I, I'm like an urban homesteader myself, and I've been kind of thinking about 
uh, health and and environmental poison and like the collapse of the food system for a while. And it's interesting to see that switch sides, like from a left wing thing. I live in the Bay Area. So like, you know, that's that's like the history here is that like slow food uh, by local movement as like a left wing movement. And now to see that totally switch sides. I mean, I think a lot of it is just uh, it's just people being lost in the age of individualism and clinging to different things and not knowing where to where to find home in terms of like community and ideology. And so it just, things just flip sides all the time and we're so like ideologically lost. But like whether you're conservative, right-wing, left-wing, whatever, uh, all sides feel like the direction that we're headed in is bad. Whether it's like the global warming myth or it's like the, you know, uh, food system, environmental poison, like, you know, everyone feels like it's, it's, we're headed in a bad direction. And I do think that there's some level of like, as you said, kind of in the beginning, like the fear mongering nature of it. But I also think that no matter what metric you care about, if you look at the future, it looks like there's going to be some sort of collapse or transition period that's going to be really difficult. And, um, I think a lot of that, the solution to a lot of that is, local decentralized um and so that can be sourcing your food like growing your own food or knowing your food system very well and not relying on like global supply chains whatever um but yeah i think that's like an age of aquarius like that that's something that i think is both a survival mechanism for the transition like the dark ages that we're kind of in now or getting into now and also something that i think is aligned with the age of aquarius vision that that could be building for the future um so getting into Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin was something that when I really understood what it was, it was an obvious missing piece in that puzzle. Um, and, and I also want to distinguish, I, I'm a Bitcoin person, not a crypto person. I think that like crypto is the Tower of Babel and like the, we're, we're like reaching towards God and the tower is collapsing into all these like, dogecoin shiba inu like whatever things in an attempt to like get us away from the true thing that actually would progress us which is bitcoin um and so bitcoin i mean i feel like it it's it's there's a lot to say on this but uh at a basic level it's it's a huge advancement in monetary technology that allows for peer-to-peer transactions in a way that hasn't and, and peer-to-peer assessment of value in a way that hasn't been possible uh, for a long time. Like it's it's very similar to just me giving you a piece of gold or an agreed, amu- agreed upon amount of cash for something in that like there's no hierarchical third party middleman in between you and I doing that transaction. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that that then affects the structure of society because Money and particularly government control of money, which is like the fiat monetary system, the federally backed currencies that we use now, is a huge way that the U.S. government in particular controls the U.S. and the rest of the world. And so taking away that power from them and making it something that is decided upon by individuals as a part of a collective, Age of Aquarius stuff, is is a huge, huge blow Uh, That's not like it doesn't require like a militant uprising to do. Right. It's just like uh, 
a power being taken away from them by a technological advance, which again, I feel like is very age of Aquarius as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I see like Bitcoin fitting in is that Bitcoin is this interesting, like global network, but is actually very much about just you and one other person that you're transacting with or you and whatever thing you're paying for, or that's paying you. Um, it's, it's like a really fascinating technological advancement that I also think is going to lead to massive hierarchical destruction. Um, but I'm hoping is also going to lead to to a better future. That's me being like hippie, new agey, positive about the age of Aquarius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the um I was saying like how the digitals like supplants the old world, the old neoliberal or well, not neoliberal, the old liberal world order. Um this is what I mean. Like, this is the power that the digital has to come along and like totally smash the old world. And anybody with any sense of like reasonableness has to understand that these transitions involve chaos. They involve pain. They involve destruction. And the people who cling to that way and the people who have power in the old way are going to try to stop it from happening. Or if they realize it's inevitable, they're going to try to get on top of it and have control. So, you know, the early stages of Bitcoin, I actually stopped reading about Bitcoin sometime in 2015, 16. I uh, didn't really pay attention to it until like 2020 when Elon Musk got in into the game is when I started paying attention again. But there, w the whole Silk Road saga is something that I hope to address on this show someday. But um that was when the the powers that be saw the threat that Bitcoin was. That was when they said, "Oh shit, this can totally, this can totally undermine and collapse all of our everything we have set up and and uh, wrest control out of our hands." So they've been trying to arbitrarily suppress Bitcoin, uh, but then they started to see that they couldn't do that. So they've been trying to sort of let it be. Elon Musk comes along and I think what he did is really good overall because he kind of brought it back into like the national conversation. Like, like obviously Bitcoin was always around, but in that interim from when like, um, Silk Road got brought down into 2020 or whenever it was that Elon Musk uh, got involved, uh, it wasn't as much in the national conversation. And now it's been mainstreamed in a, in a way that it really wasn't before. Uh, so listen, um, I need to refill my coffee. I had already planned on doing this in two parts. So maybe now's a good break time and we'll oh. come back because you keep saying like this and that is very age of Aquarius. <laughs> so, and that's great. I mean, I get what you mean, but I want to get a little bit more, uh, specific and uh, explicit about what you mean by that, because I agree with you completely, but I want to characterize like what it means to be very age of Aquarius. So let's, let's, sure. uh, we'll have a little musical break and we'll come right back.
Okay, so we are back, and we are going to talk about what Aaron means by something being very Aquarian. But before we get there, uh, she was telling me on the break that she she wants to give a little economic history of Bitcoin and how it relates to the astrological ages. And actually, I want everyone listening who's interested in what Aaron's saying to definitely check out uh, the, uh, I think it was called the Astrology of Bitcoin of the Hell Money podcast, because uh, you elaborate very nicely on it there. So why don't you give us your uh, your astral flight version of it? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I was just like mentioning Bitcoin here and there in our conversation. It's so hard to, I feel like people have such different ideas of what Bitcoin is if they don't, if they haven't gone down the rabbit hole. And I think what's interesting about Bitcoin is a lot of people see it as this like uh, fake internet money right? Like they're like, oh, it's kind of weird. It doesn't have any value. It's not tied to anything. Like it's just something that people speculate on or something like that. And it's it's interesting that people think that and I understand why they do, but it's, it's very much, uh, it's very much the opposite. And that in my opinion, Bitcoin is a return to monetary value that has been lost in the last like 50 years. And so I kind of want to just give a little bit of economic background for what I mean by that. So that then if I talk about it and we're talking about like Age of Aquarius, Bitcoin being this new monetary revolution as a part of the Age of Aquarius, it's clear that I don't just mean like weird Internet trading money that's tied to nothing. But I I really do mean something that's that's uh, that's in ways kind of like a return. So um, so so I guess starting out with the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar is uh what what do you think astral what do you think that the u.s dollar is backed by i mean i i am (laughs) aware (laughs) aware enough to know that uh it got taken off of gold backing in the seven early 70s and it's currently backed by basically nothing if if not completely nothing and i just want to say real quick before i was talking about how they were trying to suppress this new thing coming into being and then they were trying to get on top of it one of the ways i didn't say this but i'll say it now one of the ways they're trying to like drag their old order and keep and hold on to their dying wrinkled sclerotic fingers to hold on to power is by continuing to print money and by continuing to suppress um to suppress uh, interest rates like the everything the fed is doing is their attempt to like keep this basically walking zombie of a monetary system going yep yeah so you know okay so you know what's up so yeah a lot of people when i ask like what do you think the u.s dollar is backed by will say gold they are they you serious that, yeah that's a, a it's lot not of like common knowledge that. yet i know <laughs> <laughs> i know all right go so, on so in 1971 uh, Richard Nixon was running out of money to fund the Vietnam War. And uh, literally, like Britain and France were coming over in ships to take their gold back from the US because they were like, this is bad. We, we want out. And Nixon passed an executive order that said that the US dollar can no longer be exchanged for gold. And since then, we have not been tethered to to the gold standard. That's like as of 1971. Okay. Can I the jump US- in? Uh- I'm totally. so sorry. Yeah. You yeah. know how when you're listening to a podcast, you're like having a conversation in your head with a host? You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like I was having this conversation in my head with you when I listened to your episode. <laughs> love it. Love and it. one of the things when you were talking about this, you made me think, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail you, but you just reminded me that I wanted to talk to you about this. Like 
one of the predictions I'm willing to make for the future is that like now that we're off of gold, one of the ways to keep the system going is to have other countries buy our debt. And fewer and fewer countries are becoming interested in buying our debt. So one of the predictions I want to make for the future is that the U.S. may get forced to a point – may come to a point where they're forced to make someone buy our debt under threat of first serious economic problems, which I think you were talking about, uh, serious economic sanctions, and maybe even at the at the end of a gun at some point in the near future. Yes. I I mean we we already basically do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. So, so since 1971, the U.S. dollar has been tethered to nothing except for U.S. power, essentially. The U.S.'s power to enforce the U.S. dollar's value. Um, and what that's practically looked like is that I think 1971 to 1973, we basically had negotiations with Saudi Arabia where they agreed that in exchange for military protection, they would only accept the sale of oil in U.S. dollars. And so essentially what that meant is that the U.S. dollar was now like what's called like the petrodollar system. The U.S. dollar is tethered to the price of oil and uh, Saudi Arabia is a protected country in the Middle East and the U.S. dollar is is now the global reserve currency that everyone else has to use to trade as a result. And so, um, you know, our, our dollar, the value of our dollar is not tied to anything physical in the sense that like one dollar does not equal some set amount of a physical, tangible something. One dollar is kind of whatever the U.S. government decides one dollar is based on issuing debt, printing money anything that they need to do basically to pay their own bills. Um, and then anyone who wants to go against that has to deal with the U.S. military and, and can't, you know, gets cut off economically, sanctioned, all that kind of shit. Um, and that's basically how things have been, you know, for the last like five decades. Uh, and I think also like, so, so when people say like, oh, money is fake, you know, like, blah, 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 capitalism, like money's not real. They're kind of right in the sense that like money isn't real right now and it hasn't been for 50 years. And this is kind of a new experiment that has never happened before. Like we've never had money that was tied to absolutely nothing. Um, and, and what you said is exactly right. Like this is the way that the current structure is trying to, to sink its claws into controlling even though things are collapsing, even though, you know, we ran out of money to fund the Vietnam War, to like fund the war machine, we found a way of just essentially like artificially prolonging our economic dominance by the fiat monetary system. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of negative externalities, obviously, of this kind of system where U.S. military decides what's what value is basically for the rest of the world. Um and so what, what Bitcoin does is Bitcoin basically is uh, like it, it's not tied to something physical in the sense that like there's not some amount of gold that Bitcoin is tied to. But Bitcoin is tied to an amount of energy that you have to input into the system in order to access or mine more Bitcoin. So there's only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. And the last Bitcoin will be mined in 2140 which I also think is an interesting thing uh, in terms of like the transition of the age of Aquarius, where the first Bitcoin was mined in 2009. 
the last Bitcoin will be mined in 2140. And this like transition into like a Bitcoin monetary system, I, I feel like the timing is, is really elegant with the transition from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. Um, but basically, you know, this is the proof of work system is that you have to input energy to mine Bitcoin to get more Bitcoin. And what that means is that like, uh, you know, right now our system is essentially the rich get richer. The closer that you are to the money printer, the more money you have or the more proximity you have to the U.S. government or to the power structures, the richer that you can get. And the more that inflation inflates your assets and uh, deflate or and and, and degrades the the negative power of your debt um, versus if you're very far away, if you're like working uh, for a wage, essentially, you have like a salaried job and you're just like an American citizen, inflation mostly hurts you because it increases the price of your goods. Um, so like right now, the way that we have it is that like if you have money or you have power, then inflation is something that can be used in your advantage and it'll it'll make the stock market go up. It'll make the value of your house go up and, and your properties overseas or whatever it is, all the assets that you own will rise in value with more U.S. dollars being printed and with the U.S. the U.S. basically inflating its currency to, to nothing, which is what we're doing now. And then the further that you are from that money printer, the more that you're hurt by inflation. So, yeah, the system that we have right now it's it's a rich get richer situation. Proof of work requires an energy input, which, yes, you can purchase energy with money, but it's much harder to fake the production of energy. You can't just print energy into existence. You have to actually expend something real in order to get more Bitcoin. And so it's it's interesting, like Bitcoin is not technically tethered to anything physical, but the fact that you have to input energy to get it, the proof of work system ties it to something tangible that you have to expend that you, that is a cost to you essentially to expend in order to get more bitcoin um and it's and you know anyone with a computer that can mine bitcoin can get bitcoin via mining um and you can also buy it obviously that's how most people like interact with the bitcoin ecosystem but basically like in a decentralized way um anyone can get access to this currency which like compared to something like gold, there's only some countries that have gold reservoirs, right? Like gold isn't equitably distributed across Earth's surface, but energy in theory can be, or there can be different kind of energy sources that different countries or different people can use in order to input into the system and get Bitcoin. Um, and so I think what we're seeing is basically like, you know, since its, its invention in 2009, which also just the fact that the white paper is this like pseudonymous uh, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto just put it out and then disappeared is just so like, talk about myth making like that is just it's it's a beautiful, elegant story. Um, but yeah, I mean, it you know, there's no company that owns Bitcoin, there's no one that can control Bitcoin, it would be very, very, very difficult to overtake the Bitcoin network. Um, and so what we have is this like incredibly robust, ultimately, actually very simple system that retethers money to something tangible that we can all agree on. And I think like, you know, the 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 powers that be clinging to their to their power, a big part of that is their ability to decide what money is. 
and what, you know, what the, the nature of our exchange is based on how much they want to print money, how much they want to raise inflation, how much they want to like increase public debt into infinity and then force other countries to buy it or buy their own debt by printing money, which is so insane. Um, but yeah, we've gotten to this place where like, you know, I think this is actually an example, going back to Age of Aquarius terminology, this is actually an example of like, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about like, is the Dark Ages here to stay or is it a transition? And I think this is an example of the Dark Ages being a transition where I, I don't think it's possible for the current fiat monetary system to exist into infinity. It just, it's, it's, in in only 50 years, it's gotten so abstracted away from reality. And it's like, you know, what, a house in Indiana is going to be a billion dollars in 10 years? You know what I mean? Like, there's just, at some point, this has to end. There has to be a new system that comes in. And, and it might be that there's collapse and there's a lot of chaos in the transition between the old system and the new system. And I think that there will be. But I think this is an example of, like, we're kind of living in this like dark ages that's abstracted from value where everything feels so fake because everything kind of is fake, at least in, in economic terms for the last 50 years. Um, yeah, that's, I, I just went off there. So I don't know if you have any thoughts or, or anywhere to direct me. But... Yeah, no, that's, that that's good. And that's great. And, um, you know, I'm ostensibly, anti-globalization and uh, you know diametrically opposed to the globalist agenda but at the same time i'm also aware that we are going to be living in a increasingly globalizing world to the point where there's probably going to be one world currency and it's probably going to be bitcoin and there if there's not a one world government like in the sense that one country's government takes over the whole world uh there will be some sort of uh meta or extra or supernational assembly of some sort that kind of helps dictate like world uh governance i guess to to put it simply now i'm not necessarily for or against this but i do think that that's where we're going now i also think that the future is uncertain so we could be looking at a scenario in which, say, Russia, China and America face off against one another for domination of the globe. And one of those groups may emerge victorious and they may like implement this dark age. Right. So like if China wins, of course, and they take over the world, then then they will certainly be ushering in a dark age. OK, so that's one way the future might go. But the other way that the future might go is that some cadre and this is kind of like where I'm putting my bets is that some cadre of people emerges, uh, call them a counter elite, emerges and has, if not the power to take over or supplant some of the existing governments, they at least have the power to exist independently of all that stuff that's going on. One or the other. Have you heard of The Sovereign Individual, that book? Mm -hmm. The, mm, I don't think so. What is it? It's um it was written in the nineties. Um and it's it's like a very popular Bitcoiner book. It's honestly not that well written, but I think it's kind of a good like 
combination of a lot of different ideas that I, I yeah it's it's a good book but it basically describes exactly what you're talking oh, about interesting the thesis of the sovereign individual is it basically predicted the rise of the internet and that there would be an internet like currency that would emerge yeah. that would allow some people not all people but some people to live as sovereign individuals yeah. meaning like outside of the power of nation states and that these people would be able to kind of like determine an alternative sort of uh path away from just control by what would be an increasingly like surveillance state kind of nation state um and i think that book like has has predicted things very beautifully but it's exactly what you're talking about yeah like, okay you know yeah yeah go on no no no. <laughs> i was just gonna say i have to read this book because that's exactly what i'm saying yeah 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 but like i think i think uh you know the the Chinese model of like hyper surveillance and hyper control um, and authoritarian regimes is something that I, I think will likely be the dominant mode, um, even like not just as a transition, but potentially for the age of Aquarius mm. in general. Well, um, if all this tech is able to persist, uh, then, yeah, we'll but, be living we'll be living inside the panopticon. Right. Right. Exactly. But. You know, there's also ways that technology, and I think with Bitcoin is a good example of this, there's ways that technology allows for one to um, evade those powers and, and to kind of live like, yeah, as a sovereign individual in in this new world order. And so I don't think that everyone will live like that. Like, I think that the kind of like bug man NPC vibe that we're already seeing emerge so much in society is is something that's here to stay. Um, but I think that the ability for like free thinkers to connect with each other and to genuinely live outside of the power structures is uh, that's also increasing as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you a thousand percent, but the next logical progression of this conversation from my end is the part where many of the people I associate with diverge like radically from my perspective um which is that going forward people such as ourselves um it, it's sort of our task or duty is to sort of uh is sort of uh recognize or acknowledge no hold on how do i say that our task is to sort of figure out who those sovereign individuals are going to be and where their nodes are in the network and help like align with them, help create a vision for them and help to sort of fortify those nodes so that they can uh, persist through, as I said before, you know, the coming calamity. It's and, funny that you use the word node because that is the Bitcoin terminology as well, running a Bitcoin node and using that to have like a decentralized network of nodes all around. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the <laughs> only way it's going to work, right? And mm -hmm. part of this, uh, so so, so that's the task of, of folks such as ourselves. It's to sort of uh, identify and figure out everything that's going on and sort of like, if not explain it, but like... Uh, I don't know. I don't, I hate using the word predict, right? But like, as you sort of f tell this story, it, it, it starts to like have its logical conclusion that it's moving towards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
my thing is that it's clear, and this is the part I was talking about that people disagree with me, is that it's clear that these nodes and these sovereign individuals are, are they're already sort of here, right? Like they already exist and they're just going to get stronger and become more prominent. So like, I don't really have time for the guy online who's just a nobody like me. Who's like, I'm going to be a Bitcoin billionaire someday. And they, and they're basing that on nothing and they have nothing as opposed to somebody like, you know, Elon Musk and the, and the cadre of people he has built up around him and the things he's doing. Like he's going to emerge as like a power source. Okay. He's going to emerge as like one of the brightest nodes. And what we've seen over the last couple of years, right, is other potential nodes or potential set power sources getting subsumed and diffused into like the blob or the Borg of like the liberal world order. So the way, uh, uh, well, Twitter itself, really, uh, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and the people from Google and all them, the way that they were so easily just cowed by the state who brought them in and basically like took control, uh, the way the state took control of social media in 2017, 2018 and, and totally took over Google. I mean, Google's like useless now. You can't find anything that's outside of like, you, you know, the, 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 the regime approved trademark thinking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They took over all of culture. They took over Hollywood and not, not the, I mean, Hollywood was always an agent of, of, of the devil. <laughs> it was always an agent of this power source, but, um, this whole like woke ideology is sort of like just become ubiquitous now. Right. So, so. Those potential like alternative sources have easily capitulated, easily capitulated. And uh, people like Zuckerberg and Dorsey just make themselves look like fools. While somebody like Elon Musk and others, you know, but he's the main guy, uh, have kind of proven that they're not going to go with the flow and they're going to like build a pillar. They're going to build a parallel institution or they're going to erect like, you know, a pillar that will stand well, everything else goes under. So I think we have to start as we're like trying to figure out where everything's going and we're telling the story of the transition to the age of Aquarius. We have to start looking to figures like that who are going to become like major players in the, the near future. And I don't know if you've come across this, but I well, certainly... Yeah, wait, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Throw your, throw your thought I was out just there. Gonna, I was just going to actually uh, give some words of support for Jack Dorsey. Because I think Jack Dorsey is yeah. flying under the radar. And that uh, I think what happened with Jack Dorsey is he saw that Twitter could not be saved, that there was nothing that he could do really to resist the powers that be, um, and that he had kind of fucked up by allowing so much of that ideology to permeate like the board of directors and the power structures within Twitter. And I think he kind of like, bowed out of that and was like okay you guys can have that and now what he does is you know he owns square cash app block all of those companies that are bitcoin companies he's a bitcoiner through and through um and he's very invested in uh bitcoin built social media um and and you know the term web3 is such like a marketing uh like nonsense term in a lot of ways but i think the idea is actually very solid and that the infrastructure, the actual like structure of the internet and the way that we connect with each other um, can be rebuilt around 
currencies. I think it should be built around Bitcoin. Whether people think it should be built around whatever thing it is that they're shilling, the company that they own. Um, but I think there is a future for decentralized social media that will be built on Bitcoin that is is totally like has not emerged yet. I think actually kind of like like Elon Musk's strategy is like be a meme lord on Twitter and kind of like uh like fight the powers that be in this very like yeah like meme lord kind of way. And I think that's one strategy. And I think like what Jack Dorsey has done is he's tried to like um you know let the powers that be have the thing that he doesn't the battles that he doesn't think he can win like let go of those and then kind of like fly under the radar and start building other things. So I will say like props to Jack Jack Dorsey. I actually think he's a dark horse in all of this. All right. But I agree with you. I agree with you. It's like these kind of like sovereign individuals or these these people or organizations or groups or whatever that kind of put themselves outside of this power structure and actually try to build something outside of it. Um I think we're going to see a lot more of that with Pluto entering Aquarius literally later this March and then in 2024. I, yeah. I think that's going to be a huge, huge part of it. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I tried to sort of in part one elaborate on this. It's too much to get into, but the thing about Pluto is basically the way I look at that is like the, the, the suppressed unconscious or subconscious, like dark, you know, figures entities that lurk in everyone's subconscious are erupting onto the surface and uh so like i mean i've other i've heard other people say this too that like the internet is like the collective unconscious being brought into the light like yeah i mean have you ever scrolled through like the comments on a tiktok video no but i i (laughs) scrolled through other comments like elsewhere and yeah and what i'm saying like a sea of intrusive thoughts like all like it feels like you're tapping into like a dark collective consciousness but totally yeah, right. <laughs> and no, 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 no. You're that's exactly what I'm talking about. But these things manifest then in these like uh mutant looking people who who are like, you know, uh plastic surgery and uh 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 experimental surgery like disasters and like walking go- golems really. Um and mm-hmm. they're like mythological creatures coming out into the light of day. I mean, that is a significant happening that has to be taken note of. And I think it has to do with the the Pluto thing that you're talking about, like the eruption. And then, but it's going to pass, though, right? The Pluto's going to make that. Oh, you. I'm, yeah, I the, just, listen, I'm like... the listener can't see it, but she just rolled her <laughs> eyes. Okay, what did what did you mean by that? No, no, no. It's it, it. I think we're in a weird transition, and a lot of this will die off and like be kind of just part of the chaos. But some of it, I feel like, is here to stay, and it's very hard to tell what is and isn't here to stay. Like the, I mean, I think what you're kind of describing is like an algorithmically created person in a yeah, way, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I think that that is is something that will remain. In some ways, I feel like an algorithmically created person, like astrology, Bitcoin, like all these different things. Like, had I grown up pre-internet, like I never would have been exposed to all these different ideas that then have come together to create like a unique identity in yeah. me. And I, I think in some ways, like all of us are kind of becoming algorithmically created people because we're so influenced by the things that we see online. And that even if we're like free thinkers, you know, and, and we we maintain some sort of distance from the things that we see online or like ideological or intellectual distance, I mean, um, you know, we're still so 
we're still created by it in so many ways. So yeah, maybe like the the literal mythological creatures. Like I love that idea. I'm going to steal that. Um, you know, maybe some of that will die off and we'll reach an equilibrium that feels more normal, but maybe that equilibrium will be like transhumanist, like plastic surgery people that live to 500 years old. You know what well, I mean? Like it's so hard to say. I'm really happy you said it this way because this is getting back to uh, what I was talking about before about the paradigm shift and you go from one fixed paradigm and then you go through the transition and you're in a new paradigm. And I was calling that different consciousness structures. That's exactly what I'm talking about with what you said. So the algorithmically created person, uh, we don't have a full generation of people who are al- algorithmically created people yet, but the next generation is going to be that. And it's going to be a complete new thing from the previous generations, not one generation previous, but you know, three or four back to like the boomers who were created in a totally different paradigm where like the algorithmically created person wasn't possible because the algorithm didn't exist. So to go from the boomers to say the zoomers, I'm just using those to make things very simple, right? Uh, you, you find yourself in a totally new consciousness structure that was not possible before. And of course, the thing now that makes that possible is technology. It's not always technology. These things have happened in the past, uh, for different, different reasons. Although technology has played a part, right? Because of course, like the printing press created a whole, it basically created the Protestant Reformation, which created a new consciousness structure. And you, you go through each different one. Um, and then the thing you were saying, I just this is a sort of tangential point, but I want to throw this out here because uh, we're talking about Jack Dorsey and Twitter, like the powers that be. Well, I don't know what to call them, the regime, I guess they know what we're talking about. Like they know all this is happening. I'm even starting to suspect that they're aware of the astrology. I can't assert that uh, certainly wonder, for sure, yeah. but I'm starting <laughs> to think that they do. What you're saying, right, and what I was saying before about how Nietzsche, the the talk of the Ubermensch is a hearkening to someone that will exist in the future, that will be uh, uh, his his way of being will be dictated by totally different morals than the current batch of people, right? (laughs) This is going to sound so – people are going to hate this, but (laughs) the new – the algorithm has the potential to break many, many people and turn them into to goblins and zombies and golems and to turn them into these like broken, deformed creatures, right? But there has to be a small, small segment of people that it's going to create that are like the next generation of like the hero or the next generation of like the the next like phase of human evolution of consciousness of like the new – let me just put it bluntly, uh, Ubermensch, right? The new, it, it could create this new being of human that has like a whole new like set of tools to like become like the next aristocracy or to become like the next. You're shaking your head, so you no, you're yeah, I up totally agree. Down, right? Yeah, these people are, these people are going to come along, and they're going to like put the final nail in the coffin of the old paradigm, and they're going to be the new like rulers of the new order. Okay, so. 
the powers that be, I think, are aware of this because they the, they were able to control thought and they were able to control like the flow of information into people so that they were able to create a certain type of person who was like very easy to control. And now with the Internet, they no longer have control of like all the like the inputs to different individuals. And uh they're not going to they're going to they're not going to have like a race of just pure zombies anymore. They're going to be at least some individuals who end up like um unable to be controlled, right? So when you think about somebody like Yol Roth, okay, what what purpose did he serve really? The whole point of Yol Roth, right? His whole fucking uh PhD thing that Elon Musk like called him out for. His whole thing was to make it so that the algorithm shunted people into like pornography like that's what they wanted the algorithm to like favor and they wanted to bring everybody towards pornography and part of his thing was that like underage people should be allowed to like access different pornography and like uh explore their kinks you know you hear about this all the time like exploring your kink and now like teachers want to like teach that to kids at school because they know that by like steering people towards that like mode of thought and like that mode of like being in the world is going to like suppress their potential and like create like a, an engineered type of person who's like totally dependent on the state. Right. I mean, you're shaking your head. So, so come so in here. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, please, yeah, yeah. please I'm pick totally this up. I'm totally picking up what you're putting yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, so I think you're absolutely right. This is actually like, exactly what I was getting at with the uh, the pros and cons, like the blessing and the curse of the age of individualism is like, you know, you can lament the fact that pornography, for example, is like highly accessible to younger and younger children. And, and to me, I'm just like, that's just the case. You know, you can fight it for as long as you want. And I, and I, I'm not even saying that's not a good fight to fight. Um, but to me, it just seems that we are headed into an era that information will be so widely available that there, there's almost no point in trying to stop it. And that doesn't mean that I think that's good, but it, it just seems to me that that's the case. And, you know, the, the blessing and the curse of that is that you can choose for yourself and you have to choose for yourself to engage or not engage in certain things. And I think that that is kind of, you know, what will what will bring about the rise of like the Ubermensch, as you say, is like it it it's empowering, honestly, in a lot of ways to have free information and all information you could possibly want at your fingertips. It also can destroy you and probably will destroy and is destroying a lot of people. Um, I like honestly identify like what you said about like, you know, the boomers versus the zoomers and like these algorithmically created people rising up. Like that's how I identify. I'm, I'm a geriatric zoomer. My dad's a gamer and my mom's a girl boss. Like I was raised by the internet and I cannot imagine what my life would have been like or how my mind would be without being online from a very young age. And I, I don't know, I used to be kind of like, sad about that in the sense of like oh like I wish that I had grown up in x y or z time but now I'm like you know I just have to embrace it like this is this just is what it is to some extent um and oh, I'm trying to think where I was going with this oh and I think that like just as you know the powers that be are trying to like suppress or control the minds of 
these new generations and by exposing them to whatever, funneling them into whatever, and kind of creating a population that's very, um, you know, they're, they're, very, they're like, stuck in samsara. Yeah, they're, they're exactly they're stuck they're, in that like lower chakra self victimization mindset, yeah. like very unempowered, et cetera, et cetera. Um, adolescent think, adolescent developmental phase. Totally, I think the part of the problem that the the elites or whatever yeah like it's like hard to even know what to call them that the powers that be have the problem that they have is that i think that the generation that uh the generation that that resulted in them coming into power is dying off and what they're being replaced with is a bunch of like hunter biden fail sons that actually don't know how to run anything and they're not smart and they're not astrologically in tune like a good example of this, the coronation of King Charles is happening on a solar eclipse, May 5th. And if you look at any sort of society's past, you never coronate a king on an eclipse. And and actually what you do is you would coronate a fake king that you intend to kill later when you put in the new king. And maybe that's what they're doing. And maybe they do know astrology and they that's their whole plan. But to me... What this indicates is that astrology is this like uh, archetypal structure that's happening in the background that whether you believe in it or you're aware of it or not, it's happening. And what I see happening with like King Charles being coronated and like, you know, the the UK crown choosing this terrible, terrible day to do this is that they're so out of sync that they're actually going to destroy themselves. And so, you know, I think just as uh, you know, all this access to information at very young ages is creating these like goblin algorithmically created people. You know, you can also have the Ubermensches rise up out of that. I think the same thing is happening at the top where they've had so much power and so much control to the point that it's degraded them and they they haven't actually had to try to be good and they're they're failing as a result and and their ability to even retain power and to control things from a higher level it's just going to, it's just going to disappear. And there's going to be this like new restructuring of power that happens as a result. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. 100%. And basically like uh, the thing is that like uh, huge swaths of the population, like aren't going to make it like, they're not going to be able to overcome the cha- the new challenges put forth by this technology, you know? And what I was saying before about Eric Newman and likening the birth uh, excuse me, the life cycle of a civilization to that of a human being, this whole thing, like this focus on pornography that the internet has introduced. And there's there's other stuff too bes- besides pornography, but that's like the easiest one to characterize. It is a psychological regression because we've like, mo- like worked out like like society like works out how to deal with like sexual energy by directing it into these like very specific channels. And you, you, it, <clears throat> depending on the civilization in question, right? You grow up like a family structure and a cultural structure and marriage and arranged marriage and all that stuff. And then that structure starts to break down. So it's like you've passed through this maturation cycle and then the breakdown where you see like orgies from the seventies and then, and then now, and then you have like the nineties, which was this like nihilistic, like inception of like hookup culture, um, and now you have like the internet dating. It's like the psychological regression to like different phases of uh, psychological development. So, of course, they want us to be stuck 
in this pre-individuated psychological cycle so that we don't like uh, assert ourselves or advocate for ourselves. We're distracted, you know, by by gluttony, by addiction. Right. Because I think the fentanyl crisis was completely manufactured for the purpose of uh getting people like distracted into this like uh satiation of like physical needs physical addiction and desires and stuck in these um like addictive psychological phases so that they can continue to do their machinations but we're going to come out of it in some way at some point you know what i mean and the thing what i was saying before uh i i don't think we're going to actually have the time i thought we might to talk about elon musk uh, so we won't really get too deep into him. But the thing I was saying before, the reason I brought him up is like a lot of conservatives will give me or others pushback when we talk about him as some sort of like savior figure. I mean, that term is very strong term, but just bear with me. Uh, because like they're like, oh, well, he's a hedonist or he's a rationalist or he's not a he's not he doesn't embody or or even like endorse christian morality so they don't really see him as like like uh, a potential person to look to because he's not a christian or he doesn't embody traditional morality nor is he even trying to like bring that back at all it's like not part of his agenda so a lot of people a lot of like conservatives reject him plus he's so pro-tech that's the other thing people reject him for he's like they're like oh he wants to just control us and make us part of the hive mind and while I understand all those arguments, it has to be acknowledged. What he has done has to be acknowledged. He took someone who was literally an agent of the state, who was in control of one of the strongest, most powerful, most prevalent algorithms on the planet that like the like one of the most uh utilize algorithms that was influencing and affecting the most people and he removed that agent of the state from that algorithm so that it's no longer like directing you towards like fucking literal pornography like children like actual children towards pornography so so it, my opinion is that he is a force for good because of something like that and he also uh, is sort of trying to redirect Twitter and turn it into like a money-making thing. He wants it to become like a cash cow for himself, which is fine. But I predict, I th and I want to know your opinion on this, that sometime in the next, I don't know, three, four, five years, that crypto is going to be a currency of exchange on Twitter uh, in more and more increasingly, more and more increasing prevalence over time. I mean, does that make sense to you? Do you think think that's yeah. going that direction yeah, yeah. i i definitely do this is like i mean my quandary with elon is it is the bitcoin crypto divide for me where i think i think elon understands bitcoin and he understands its value i think he has to like at this point um but he flirts with the idea of like making his own right and i think if you understand bitcoin you understand that the value in it is that no one owns it and no one controls it and this is like why I say crypto is like a Tower of Babel situation where it's like Elon Musk could see the power of something like Bitcoin and he could try to build something that is genuinely decentralized and not controlled by anyone. Or he could take the innovation of like blockchain technology and make Elon coin and then become the new master, right? And I think that's like, yeah. that's the challenge here is like resisting the urge to just imitate the 
the power that you're trying to destroy because he can destroy the powers that be with that like elon coin or whatever thing he wants to pursue you know like he he can still win that battle against the elites the powers that be whatever but it, it's just a new a new god new master you yeah know what I mean? so so i've heard uh that type of argumentation before and where i'm at and i you know, I'll let you come back because I don't know if this is exactly what you think. But where I'm at is that, like, you have to understand that if there is going to be a Caesar who emerges or if, because because when Nietzsche talks about the Ubermensch, he talks about one guy. It's just one guy. OK, and he may be the harbinger of the type of man that's to come down the road he may be the first of many but the first ubermensch the first man who overcomes is one guy and i equate that one guy with the caesar figure and the Mm -hmm. thing some people have and i'm not accusing you of this but some people have a hard time with is that in order for the caesar figure to be the caesar figure he has to be a megalomaniacal self-aggrandizing narcissist because you can't you can't uh like usher all that power unto yourself and assert it over the world without seeing yourself as some sort of like super figure or or perhaps even a godlike figure because that is what happened with the emperors of Rome when the caesar figure ushered in the age of the emperors they became worshiped as gods so for me to look i mean and i think that the future while it's uncertain it can only go like a very limited number of ways there's only a couple directions the future can go and in my opinion one of those directions is that we could have the emergence of a a caesar figure who could supplant and like override the regime that exists right right now and for me if this caesar figure emerges i am certainly not going to look at him and be like well okay sure he's like smashing the state that is literally trying to rape your children en masse but you know, he he wants to make himself rich, so fuck him, he's the devil. You know what I'm saying? Like like yeah. it, wh- whoever this person is going to be is going to build himself up as if he is a god. Okay, here's another one that I'm going to propose to you. Are you familiar with Mr. Beast? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Could say more about him. Mr. Beast is the uh, most subscribed to person on YouTube. You might have seen like he went viral recently because he cured a thousand people of blindness for a YouTube video. And oh, that's amazing. Calling him the Antichrist. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I've never heard of this, but this is amazing. So tell me more about it. Okay, so it, like I think what you're describing in Elon, like honestly, I think the the answer to what you're saying is like yet to be seen, right? Like yeah, of course, yet yeah, to yeah, be yeah. Seen how Elon will handle this power? Maybe he'll totally fuck up Twitter, and it'll just like devolve no, into nothingness he, like mark know. mark my words right now remember this episode he is not <laughs> i'm telling you and i'm telling all my listeners he's not gonna fuck up twitter he's not gonna fuck i think it you're up. probably right yeah i think you're probably right i know um, it i know <laughs> i know I, I think you're probably right about that uh but but you know whatever there, there's a lot of ways it could go with with elon i think there's a lot of um i don't know yeah there's there's i think ways that he is very visionary and pushes things forward. And I think there's ways that he is either like willfully ignorant or purposely ignorant. And I can't tell which, and that's what I'm getting at with like the Bitcoin Twitter thing specifically. But I think that like the type of figure um, that you're describing is like Mr. Beast is like the zoomer version of that, where he has like, I, you have to like, I mean, honestly, you'll probably hate him in the same way that a lot of people hate Elon Musk in that like, 
his content is like a cut scene like every two seconds it's like so ADD like watching it as like not an iPad baby is painful yeah um it's like epilepsy uh, epileptic exactly exactly but his whole thing is he's like I literally don't care about physical like uh like physical assets like he doesn't care about living in a nice house or whatever like genuinely because he just cares about the internet and like dominating the YouTube algorithm. The only thing he cares about is making the most viewed best videos on YouTube. And he has just dominated YouTube and not just YouTube in the U S but like he has, uh, he gets his videos translated to other languages. So he's also the top subscribed to in like 20 other countries. Like this guy is and 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 the thing is, like, anyone over the age of 24 has, like, never even fucking heard of him. Yeah. Like, no one even knows. Meanwhile, he's, like, the cultural figure of, of, like, the world for, like, an age demographic that's much younger. And he is just continuing to, like, dominate, dominate, dominate. And the, the narrative that was going around recently is that he's the Antichrist because he's, like, doing all these things. Like, he cured a thousand people of blindness for a video just because he could. And like, uh, you know, to me, I'm like, wow, that's incredible. But so many people are like, Mr. Beast, Mark of the Beast, like what's going <laughs> on here? <laughs> um, but I think like these kind of polarizing characters, like the Caesar figure or whatever, like, I think there's, there's many that are emerging slowly over time. And I think Elon Musk could be like the first or kind of a part of that archetype. But I, I do think that like the age of Aquarius is not about a hierarchy of one person at the top. It's more of like a mycelial network of like things emerging in different weird places and structures kind of coming from like a grassroots level. And I know grassroots is so like that term kind of means nothing at this point because like so many people are like, Oh, grassroots movement, blah, blah, blah. Who even knows. Right. But I think like things emerging from the muck and like, rising out of unexpected places from weird sort of like almost like emergent phenomena kind of like like algorithmically created people actually is a good example like Mr. Beast is an algorithmically created person who has like risen to the top of the algorithm because he's like a part of it's like a part of his psyche you know and I think that we'll see more and more people that will that will kind of take on these like these powerful roles and it's not necessarily a good thing right like they're not necessarily good people but they'll challenge the current structure in a way that yeah that's going to be unexpected and kind of weird and result in in the toppling of the structure so I agree with you like Elon Musk I think is like one and he might be like the guy in all likelihood he's probably going to be the richest person in the world like for his entire life which is a huge thing that's a huge he, power. He structure. could he could uh, use that to get himself like political power and like mm-hmm. and use that as a way to like give himself power. I don't know if he would want to take it. I don't know if he has the ambition to do that, but he's in the position that he could. But I like that you brought this other guy up because um, I also have this perspective and I, I'm not alone in this that. Uh, there's going to be like a new religion. It's probably going to be a global religion and it's going to emerge from the internet. So these characters are going to emerge and they're going to be like this whole new thing that like couldn't have existed without the internet. And they're going to like start a new religion that like really catches on. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I do know it's going to come from the internet. So like 
if Elon Musk doesn't necessarily become like the Caesar figure or like, you know, because the, the regime that exists now, one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to collapse eventually and just disintegrate and dissolve into anarchy and chaos and the United States is going to break up and some other powerful country, say China, is going to become the global hegemon. Or uh, you're going to see more like what happened with in Rome, which is that they're they're still going to exist, but they're going to become basically completely ineffectual. And these other figures are going to crop up and they're going to be super famous. They're going to be super rich and they're going to have a certain type of power that they can then leverage to basically take over the state and become the new like leaders of the state. And, yeah. and the you state... have to read the sovereign individual. This yeah. is like literally yeah. the thesis yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, yeah, sorry. I mean, I, it, it makes sense that uh, I'm like came to this conclusion on my own. There's probably lots of people who are looking at things the same way without having read the book, but uh, it, it would be good. I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, So whether or not Elon Musk actually steps into that role and, and keeps going with what's happening in his life now and like takes it to that direction is irrelevant to my argument because my argument only – in order for my argument to be like correct, it only needs to have someone like Elon Musk be in the position where he could feasibly, conceivably do that. Because if he is in that position and chooses not to take it, someone else will eventually. I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So look, um, look, uh, I, I wanted to get into like a, a lot more about the age of Aquarius, but I'm basically out of time here. So, um, can we, can you tell me what the Aquarian conspiracy is? Because that's actually how me and you got in touch. Uh, yeah, totally. So yeah, tell me about this. I'm very interested. <laughs> so yeah, so I started this group of, uh, basically like Bitcoin astrologers. We all kind of met like serendipitously in New Mexico back in, uh, October. Um, and. Of 2022. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty recently. And and one of the members uh, is who reached out to you because basically, so we're putting on this event. Bitcoin Miami is like the big Bitcoin conference every year in Miami in May. And uh, one of the things that we decided to do as this group, the Aquarian Conspiracy, is we were like, let's see if we can just get a bunch of esoteric internet, you know, Bitcoin, but also just whatever, if you feel the vibe, you know, if you're if you're down for the vibe. Uh, you know, let's see if we can get them all together and just like put on like a little one day conference and like have people meet each other and, you know, a gathering of the initiates essentially. Um, so yeah, it's, it's May 15th in Miami. Uh, it'll be like a day long. That's kind of like the event that we're like, this group is, is planning is kind of like trying to be our first thing of just seeing who's out there and who's available to come to Miami in May and just actually meet and hopefully kind of create like a network out of that as well um, that can then lead to future things and future collaborations and that kind of stuff. But yeah, so the Aquarian Conspiracy is a group of basically like astrology, Bitcoin, esoteric, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, it was it was very much like an example of like the realization that so many other people are independently coming to very similar conclusions or following similar paths to like the journey that I feel that I'm on intellectually, spiritually, whatever. Um, so yeah, just to, you know, show that event, aquarianconspiracy.org, check it out, get a ticket, come hang out, whatever. Um, and yeah, we're, we're sort of like, I think we just made a Twitter account this week. So we're just like slowly building the movement around it. 
but yeah. <laughs> All right, good. That's good to know. Uh, cause I was going to ask like where people can find more out about it. So, right. So it's, it's brand new. You haven't, you're not fully established yet. You are going to have this event, but you guys plan to like stick together and develop your ideas and do more things in the future. Yeah. We're doing some kind of like, uh, like collaborations on actually like one of the, the one who reached out to you is literally on a plane right now coming yeah. here and we're going to record an episode of my, that's actually a good way for people who are interested in this. Cause probably my podcast episode will be out when this one comes out. So yeah, hell money podcast. The next episode that we're recording is with two other members from the group. And we're just going to be talking about like Bitcoin as the megalithic structure, like pyramids of Giza thing of the internet age, like just some yeah. galaxy brain esoteric shit. Um, so yeah, that, that's also a good place to yeah, kind of good. find more content. <laughs> so you're, you're going to have to come back on my show, you know, like as soon as possible. Cause totally. there's like a whole, whole. <laughs> There's so uh, much to discuss. Yeah, there's a whole realm that we didn't even get to. Um, so, good. All right. Well, that's perfect. Um, yeah, you know, I tried to... Well, just expect more for the listener. Expect more more of this uh, line of thinking and discussion. Totally. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for Yeah, coming. I had a great time. Me too. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Astral Flight Simulation signing off. <laughs>